Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is the definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed his dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful. Uh, well, we are excited today, not only for our topic, which is the long and storied, although still only like half of the storied history of unmade Batman movies, but we are Welcoming back veterans of the podcast, returning super nerd champions, uh, Ed Greer. Hello, Ed. <laughs> super nerd champ. That's the best intro ever. Thank you. Uh, well, Ed, uh, for our longtime listeners, was on our lengthy Spider-Man uh, series and our Justice League, the George Miller Justice League episode. Uh, also joining us is my writing partner, Mr. Pat Casey. Hey, that's me. Uh, who was on our lengthy Super Mario episodes and also on the Justice League uh, George Miller episodes and uh, definitely is one of the biggest Batman fans 
I know. Uh, Ed also hosts a podcast. I keep wanting to call it Nerd Goat, uh, but it is the greatest pod now uh, mm-hmm. to host all your. Why don't you give us uh, our listeners a little lowdown on your pod, Ed? Oh, uh, honestly, that we just discuss and debate what makes something great, and we invite the hottest takes. I did not mean that to rhyme. Uh, <laughs> we we you know if you if you think that Star Trek Voyager is the greatest Star Trek. Come on our show and defend your position. You know, we don't, we're, you know, we're not Pontius Pilot over here, but we do. And we, like most podcasts, we uh, invite all types of nonsense and we just have funny commentary and we really, some of it gets kind of intellectual too. So it's, it's a nice stew of, of over intellectuality, over analysis and some good geek humor. So yeah, the greatest pod. Uh, well, I, I know Pat's level of Batman fandom because he's constantly telling me things about Batman that he's still continuing to read at this age. And I feel his and I, uh, a lame super nerd claim to fame, such a like dumb fanboy thing to think. But I remember when we had first moved to LA, I don't really remember what movie we were seeing. I just remember that it was the AMC in Burbank and we were waiting in line and we we're bored. And we we're at that time, very obsessed with Chris Nolan. I feel like mm-hmm. we, we've both kind of entered the, the, camp of being less obsessed with them but at that time but we this were like, was pre-batman chris nolan obviously yeah, we yeah. loved memento and insomnia and i'm trying to remember if we'd seen following at that time but either way we were like chris nolan they should get him to make a batman and then when they did it was like they listened to us <laughs> <laughs> we should be in charge of a studio that, that uh, but, was my takeaway but ad where would you place your uh batman fandom um i think but Just like uh, as George Carlin talked about Catholicism, I was a big Batman fan up until the age of reason. Uh, You know, no, but I I love Batman. I really do, because the concept uh, is just so malleable and dope and we can wax and wax philosophical for 20 minutes about how malleable the concept is, how dope it is, how enduring it is, blah, blah, blah. But in, in reality, I just like as far as comic book properties, it just hits that nice note of this is the best that a person could do. No, no powers, smowers, like money, money. This is the best a regular person could do as far as being as super as any of these gods and space dudes. So that always hits a, a big, uh, you know, uh, it always it always hits big with people who find themselves to be a little bit more cynical, a little bit less, you know, I can lift a planet and go to the <laughs> Mars and all the kind of the people who don't really dig that stuff go hard into Batman, especially after Grant Morrison made him a bat God who was able to, and Frank <laughs> Miller made him a bat God who could beat all the superheroes up and be a regular guy like, oh, I can't lift more than about 800 pounds with maximum effort. But uh, boy, I, I beat up Superman yesterday with a device. People love that <laughs> stuff. And I, as, as you know, I love it too. The best at everything. I remember in like Legends of the Dark Knight or to the like prestige Batman one in the 90s, there was a great storyline where there was like a new superhero who was like the swordsman or something or like the the cavalier, I forget, who comes to Gotham and everyone loves him. And then Batman realizes that he like murdered somebody to like protect a girl he was in love with or whatever. And Batman confronts him. And really this guy was a hero. He just did one bad thing, but like, so he's like, I hear you're the best at everything. And the guy throws Batman a sword so they can duel, even though he's the world's <laughs> greatest swordsman. 
And then I actually, I think he does beat Batman and he's like, well, shit. And then he like takes an empty gun and runs at the cops so the cops will kill him because he couldn't live with what he'd done. It was a great story. That's I love convenient Batman. for Batman. I've read so many Batmans. <laughs> well, Steve, yeah, Josh is right. I still read it all the time. <laughs> uh, Steve, I guess I don't even know. Where's your Batman fandom level? Uh, no, I love Batman, but um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'd never read. I have... Th- the Dark Knight Returns. I never read it, unfortunately. I, I don't read the comics. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up in the 80s. There was only a few channels. So that that 60s show was always on when I got home from school. It was either watch Phil Donahue or watch Batman. So I watched <laughs> Batman all the, the time. The choice is yours. Yeah, that's, you know, but uh, I love the villains. I loved the Justice League cartoon. And when that movie came out in 89, it was huge. You know, um, it took me weeks to go see it. And I you know, the hype got me. And I remember going there the second time to see it and um, it was sold out. And my friend had this genius idea. Let's buy tickets for see no evil, hear no evil. That Richard Pryor, Gene Wilder movie. <laughs> we bought those tickets. We rubbed off the name of the movie and we got in and we got to see it in this sold out show. And it was awesome. Wow, you rubbed off the. Yeah. Did you, was that really necessary? <laughs> some... no, we had, they were checking tickets at the door. Oh, you're like Leo yeah. and catch me if you can. Yeah, man. Uh... It was, it was, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I just, you know, I, I watched that show Gotham. I watch anything that I watch all those Batman cartoons, like the animated series. I watch all that shit. I just like I like Batman, but it's more, you know, I never I don't read comics, unfortunately, as you'll hear on the show. You know, I don't lie. But um, yeah, I'm a big Batman fan when it comes to that angle of it. And I read know. a little like I think like a lot of people, especially around our exact age like i knew the adam west tv show as you said steve because it was always on tv well it's uh, I but feel like they really started rerunning that when the 89 movie was coming out then suddenly the 60s batman was also everywhere and that's when we all got into it i guess i was still too young to even i mean time you know everything seemed to last longer back then in my mind i knew what mm-hmm. batman was because of that show then the movie came out and i was obsessed with it and very shortly after the animated series came out I think Batman and or Detective Comics was like the first comics I got a subscription to. But I feel like I, you know, I'm nerdier about Batman than the average person, but significantly less nerdy than the people who are really into Batman, which is why you guys are here. <laughs> well, uh, just one one last thing about it. Uh, I think it's Batman is like the ultimate uh test and this is why this podcast is going to be epic baby it's the ultimate test (laughs) of your storytelling chops and your storytelling sensibility there's only a certain amount of ways to tell a superman story superman will probably not thrive as a murder mystery with him using his microscopic vision to find clues or some shit it uh you know spider-man probably isn't going to do that great as a noir detective or in space you know as far as a whole series but batman can do anything and be anywhere and there, but people always have their well, no, we can't because he has to be this. Everybody has their particular prism through which to see him. So a Batman project is almost like a Rorschach test for your storytelling sensibilities. And we see that throughout all these drafts that we're going to look at. Yeah. And I should know, uh, because Ed and Pat are now old pros at the podcast, we're mixing things up ever so slightly, which is for our longtime listeners, you know, that usually Steve always does the history. I always walk us through the scripts, but because we have so much material for this, uh, Pat and Ed and I are splitting up all the material. So we'll take turns leading you through this epic journey. Um, We're definitely not going to be going into the history of Batman 
as a publication character. I will say though, just because I feel like this is increasingly becoming a part of uh, comic book rights and credits is, you know, we're all slow, we're not us, but you know, normal people are slowly learning, oh wait, way more people are involved in the creation of these characters than like the one person or the no people that have been credited for the years. And we grew up in the era where Bob Kane was like this weird rock star, super God. Mm-hmm. Uh, like somehow, even though nobody really know, knew who created most characters other than Stan Lee, somehow everyone knew Bob Kane made up Batman. Like to the point where in the Tim Burton Batman, I remember, you know, there's the sketch artist in the police station who's drawing the you know, a witness sketch of Batman and it's signed Bob Kane, not just signed Bob Kane. It's like his actual iconic signature. Uh, mm. And now we've all also learned that, I mean, Bob Kane did create Batman, but he was also kind of a shady butthole who benefited from the fact that I believe his dad was like an attorney. So unlike a lot of these people, he really knew what his contract should look like to maximize his own earning potential. And there's another guy who basically co-created or really created most of the Batman universe named Bill Finger, um, who now there's, they made a good documentary about him called Batman and Bill. That was my roundabout way of saying people who don't really know anything about the publication history of Batman should check out Batman and Bill to learn a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, but oh, Steve, yeah. do you want to kick us off with uh, I don't even know where this is beginning. Yeah, in history, me, really. All right, we're gonna start off. Oh yeah, and by the way, we do want to give a shout out to uh, a Twain Nguyen. Yeah, yeah, friend of the show, Twain Nguyen. Sorry, I hope I think Josh said his name better. Huge, <laughs> huge help with hooking us up with the scripts for this episode. Very kind, very good guy, good friend, good friend of the show. All right. Yeah. So we're going to start off in 1938 really quick, as what Josh was saying. Uh, Superman made his first opinion uh, appearance in June 1938. And then a year later in 1939, you know, uh, DC Comics editor Vincent Sullivan asked Bob Kane if he can come up with a superhero, not another Superman, but another superhero. And uh, Josh explained it well, like uh, Bob Kane teamed up with a guy named Bill Finger and they created and Bill Finger mostly created uh, Batman. You know, I think Bob Kane first drew a guy in like red tights and stiff bat <laughs> wings. And then Bill Finger came in and like redesigned the costume yeah, came Bill up Finger gave him his bat ears and stuff like Bob Kane did make up the, the name Batman, though. You gotta give him credit for that. Yeah. Good first- name. First, he called him Birdman and gave him bird wings. Oh, and no. Then, oh, Birdman. <laughs> exactly. Then he remembered a Da Vinci sketch of a bat-like flying machine. And then that's where he kind of came up with, oh, do Batman. Yeah, the, the guy had red tights. Uh, the mask that Robin has, like a domino mask and stiff mm-hmm. bat wings. And then, like, you know, yeah. And then Bill Finger came in and, you know, gave him a cape and, uh, you know. And then, you know, and then 19... 19- 43, four years after Batman's comic debut, that was the first time in cinema history that he appeared. And it was in these uh, little uh, serials. It was like a 15 chapter serial that would Has play. Have you the- seen any of those? I've seen like stills Clips, from them. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, I think they're like smashing spies and stuff. Yeah. Possibly like real racist stuff, but just fighting (laughs) Japanese spies. Yes. The 1943 one, you nailed it, Pat. Pat nailed it. Uh, It was uh, a guy named Dr. 
uh, DACA and he was a head of Japanese saboteurs. And that was the 1943 one. And because we were at war with Japan and then supposedly that's where um, the bat cave and the grandfather clock entrance came from. And then in 1949, another serial came out, Batman and Robin. It was another 15 serial uh, that Columbia Pictures put out. Then 15 years later, there was uh, Andy Warhol did a, uh, a pop artist, Andy Warhol did a silent black and white film about an hour long that wasn't you know, authorized by DC Comics called Batman Dracula. And um, I've never uh, heard of that. I, w- I would like to see that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would like love to see that. Some footage exists out there. Um, actually, you can go on YouTube and you can see parts of it. And so, yeah, so he made like a tribute to Batman in 1964. So that's like, that's like, uh, uh, I, I thought, I'm sorry, I thought I had a note here. I do not. But yeah, it's a black and white silent film. And then 1964 to 1965, they started re-releasing those Batman serials as four-hour map marathons on in movie theaters and on college campuses and they started to you know do well in the theater and college kids you know started digging them and so they started thinking yo let's bring batman to tv and then august 7 1965 the pilot was finished like the first draft of the pilot and then september 1965 it was announced that batman and robin would come into tv and then January 12th, 1966, the show premiered. Adam West played Batman. And all of a sudden, the following month in February, February 1966, um, the executive producer, William Dozer, he, he was saying that he was getting swamped with calls from actors that wanted to appear as villains on the show because just the show actually just took off. And like I was saying earlier, there was only so many channels, I think, at the time, you know, and college kids are like probably smoking weed and like this is cool. And, you know, kids are into it. <laughs> and and like Liberace wanted to be in it. And Roddy McDowell, you know, Vincent Price, he did eventually come on the show as Egghead. So it became... yeah, wait, I was about to say, was Liberace ever on it? They said no to him. He probably did. It looks like maybe someone out there is going to is like pounding at the maybe table. Maybe he was. Maybe I he was. Have... I... I don't know. I'm not I mean, going to really haven't seen i've seen the move the adam west batman movie in my adulthood i feel like i haven't really revisited the show since i was a kid yeah well, was it just you know liberace didn't play the riddler so but he, he may have been <laughs> on there yeah he was on an episode of batman as Shandell, the musical virtuoso who was oh, right blackmailed into a life of crime by his twin brother who i wonder if that was oh, i hope that was also probably. played by liberace oh yeah i mean why would he not be his twin brother so I should have Amazing. looked into that a little bit more. Yeah, then uh, March, the next month, March 1966, uh, they announced that they're going to make a movie, a full-length feature film, and using the same cast and production team. And so the first movie, um, another month later, April 6, 1966, the first uh, draft... The, the screenplay was completed and photography started April 18, 1966. They did the movie after just one season of the show. Uh, you know, this dude, this is insane. The show started and I had a, in 1966, January, the movie came out uh, in August 1966. It premiered in July 19. Like the, literally they, they started shooting in April 1966. And a couple of months later, the movie was pre- was. Uh, How is that even possible? 
I guess because they already had, because they were already doing the TV show, they have everything all there. They have the actors. Maybe, you know, it's not a lot of special effects. Look at the shark sequence, you know, it's so a it was basically shark. just like a, a giant size episode yeah, of the series. And they just did it as part of the series scheduling, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope I'm not wrong with all this. I thought I double checked this because I thought too, I was like, wait, this is insane. How did they do all this so fast? Well, I mean, you know? everything, it seemed like, I, I I don't know, man. I think time moved faster or slower <laughs> or something back in the days. Because, you know, all these back in the days, you know, when people used to die young, mortality and all this jazz. In our lifetimes, lifespans have gotten significantly longer than it seems like they used to be. And everybody works in the coal mine days. And I think those people in the 60s just had an, had an immediacy to their lives. They were just like, because whole, the whole Batman phenomenon lasts, what, three years? From yeah. from the very beginning to the very end, it's like three years, and it it's like it's like how the '60s are '68 and '69. You know what I mean? As far as all the significant cultural stuff and all the stuff people well, remember. It's like, yeah, it's like the Beatles and the Stones were putting out like three or four albums a year for a and while. People were getting yeah. mad about how slow it was. That's the crazy <laughs> thing. That's why the Beatles started releasing singles in between their albums because people are like, "It's been a month since your last album, you bums." Wait, Steve, what dates? I just double checked. So the series started January 1966 and yes. the movie came out July 1966. Is that yes. what you said? Yeah, That's April April 1966, they started shooting and filming was completed in 26 days. I, <laughs> and July 9, in July 30th, 1966, it had its premiere. Crazy. And then, we, we have a movie that's shooting right now that's coming out in the first week of December. And everyone I tell that to is like, that's ridiculous. How is it coming out so soon? And that one, they at least have most of a year to do post rather than two weeks or whatever. Also, this one had. doesn't star a fully CG talking hedgehog. Well, so yes. that, that'll make the post process go a little faster. And they don't use shark repellent on a shark like in the Batman movie. <laughs> All right, That's, onwards. All right, yeah. So <laughs> it came out August 31st, 1966, the Batman movie, and um, it did well. You know, it made 3.9 million, and, and somewhere online it said that equivalents to uh, 31 million in 2020. So it did well. And then 1967, a Filipino film came out called Batman Fights Dracula. And that was, again, was not authorized by DC, but it could be the first time Batman interacted with Dracula in a, in a, in a movie. <laughs> could be the first time. <laughs> and then, okay, so we're getting right now to Batman meets Godzilla. I couldn't find a lot of concrete information on this. The script, though, is at the library. Um, William Dozer papers, you know, and it's a 22 page treatment. It is there. And if you reach out to them, you know, they'll send you a copy of it. And the only thing I could find, I had to go online to look this up because I checked, you know, newspapers, anything I could. And it, 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 it from what I can find is that they were thinking that because, uh, what is it? Batman, not Batman, uh, Godzilla versus uh, King Kong. King Kong, yes, was so big that they were trying to find someone else to team him up with, an American, you know. So that's when they figured out, oh, we'll do Batman meets Godzilla, you know. So, so was this going to be, this was like a Japanese production, really? 
or yeah. co-production. Okay. Uh, for listeners, we talked about this a little bit already on our episode with Joshua Hall talking about his uh, Unmade Movies book. Um, uh, no, my brain forgetting what it's called. Uh, Underexposed. Mm-hmm. Um, among other things, but uh, we'll go into a little bit more detail on this episode. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted somebody. No, um, yeah, but there was two treatments. There's an American treatment that was at the library and there was a Japanese treatment and that one no one can find. So so I guess I, my question was, this wasn't going to be like Adam West and Burt Ward going up no, against- No, it was. It was. was. Based yeah. on the treatment. So basically what this one is, uh, to maybe go into a little more detail than we did on our- uh, underexposed episode. So yeah, very much. It's basically a sequel to the Adam West movie. I feel is what audiences would have treated this like, but it begins with commissioner Gordon and his daughter, Barbara Gordon are going on a trip to Japan. Commissioner Gordon is going to be visiting like police stations all around Japan. Barbara is visiting her friend from Vassar. Who's named Raiko Hamamoto who's assistant librarian at something. I feel like that's ultimately not that important. Um, And then kind of basically the movies about there's all these natural disasters that's happening while their cruise ship on the way over, they're hit by a rogue wave, almost (laughs) die, but they just managed to survive. When they get to Tokyo, they're encountered by uh, somebody that Gordon knows named Ito Nagano, who is, uh, and I did look this up because I was like, this is like a stupid Batman joke, right? He works for Outer Pole. And I'm like, is that just like a joke on <laughs> Interpol? Yes, that is what it is. Uh, <laughs> Outer Pole is the Japanese version of Interpol in this universe. Uh, and he informs them that there is a German meteorologist who's from Argentina named Klaus Finster, who has been taking claim for all the natural disasters, saying they were not natural, they're terrorist acts by him, Finster. And he's, there's going to be an attack every day for a week if he has not paid $50 million. And on the final day, he will destroy all of Japan. Uh, so Commissioner Garden's like, oh, snap, I wish Batman was here. Makes a long-distance phone call to Batman. <laughs> Talks to Batman. And this is how you know that this is the Adam West thing. Because when I first started reading this, I was like, this has to be Adam West version, right? Because they note in here that Batman like checks with uh, someone to make sure that all the supervillains are locked up currently and not doing anything. So he feels okay with like leaving town. <laughs> Cause I'm like, that's real <laughs> stupid. That has to be a joke, right? Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, he goes to Japan with Robin, Dick Grayson, Meanwhile, Barbara, who for those who don't know, uh, is Batgirl, but Commissioner Gordon does not know. But so in Tokyo, she's also like, hmm, I wonder what's going on. I'm going to go visit my friend, Dad. And then meanwhile, she buys a motorcycle and rents a garage and converts the motorcycle into the Bat cycle. Uh, so she's got <laughs> some time and money on her hands, apparently. <laughs> um, double meanwhile, Finster in his evil lair under Mount Fuji. Uh, reveals to his minions that he has the ability to control Godzilla. It's funny that he was even bothering with these other natural disasters. You kind of yeah, if you have Godzilla, why do you need like Godzilla. an earthquake machine? Yeah. Uh, but he wakes up Godzilla to go start wrecking havoc uh, around. <laughs> um, 
Batman and Robin land. I mean, it's all if you like the Adam West show, it's like a lot of fun stuff where they like land at the airport and there's like fans and everybody's real excited about them. Uh, they meet a guy named Count Dreidel. I don't know if there was some supposed to be a deeper joke in that name, <laughs> um, but he turns out to be an evil. This was a real guy. But he attacks them and they realize he's a robot. So Finster also has the ability to make evil robot clones of people. Um, Barbara shows back up at the hotel with her friend Raiko Hamamato. And we realize that she is also a robot and Finster can like see through her eyes and is watching oh. from his evil lair manipulating things and Raiko is like telling them things they should you guys should go to a kabuki show and they go to the kabuki show to enjoy it uh, or i should also note that um because they have like a day to kill batman and robin are like maybe we should go see the sites so they book a room for just Bruce in costume and the whole Dick. time yeah yeah oh. but so then they can you know also making up an excuse of why bruce and dick are here to go to this kabuki show uh, where the samurais are on stage and then the samurais turn towards the audience and start attacking them. It's all this kind of stuff. <laughs> they fight a biker gang. Um, but the important thing is, is that, uh, oh man, they're, they're attacked by sumo dudes at one point. I don't want to leave that out. on a bullet train. It's just funny <laughs> that the Brad Pitt bullet train movies coming out, but there's a whole bullet train sequence in this where they have to fight an army. But basically of sumo like men. they made a list of like, what are things in Japan? Japan like exactly. we, we got to just do everything on the list. Uh, and then really uh, the bulk of what I guess you would, the shortest pitch of this movie would be that a bad guy's controlling Godzilla uh, Batman realizes, though, that Godzilla is not inherently evil, you know, a core part of the Godzilla mythology. He's misunderstood, and, you know, whatever. Humans are really the problem. Uh, so he's like, well, we can't destroy Godzilla. We just have to figure out what to do about him. Um, maybe Godzilla is a dude and a straight dude, and he'd be into, like, a lady Godzilla so they have a scientist design a sexy Godzilla mating call that they're going to use <laughs> on Godzilla. And it, meanwhile, also, there's a little bit funny that because they even reference King Kong versus Godzilla in this. But it's also a part of this that when Godzilla finally sees Batgirl, King Kong style, he's like in love with her and doesn't want to hurt her. Oh, yeah, because that's how Batman realizes that Godzilla is not inherently bad, is that Godzilla is holding Batgirl and is like, and like puts her down. Um, but it all builds up to this big action sequence where Batman is like running up Godzilla's tail, something I know Pat will love. Uh, because one <laughs> of the things that drew drove Pat nuts about a recent Godzilla movie is they're like, Godzilla's hurt. We need to revitalize him by setting off a nuke directly in his face. Uh, and it works in the movie, but it's easy to see how, like, or will that blow Godzilla's face off? Is this a good plan, you guys? <laughs> But in this, uh, Batman's plan to knock Godzilla out as he sets a bomb off on his head and it blows off a chunk of his skull. He doesn't die, though, but like it, it definitely fucks Godzilla up and knocks him out. Um, this is after Godzilla realizes that the mating call they were using on him was not real and it makes him understandably very angry. Yeah, Godzilla like, thought he was going to get laid. Yeah, it's like after, after millions of years. Uh, while he's knocked out, uh, they get the world's largest rocket and put Godzilla on it and launch him out into space. Uh, and then it, and he's just going to die. They just <laughs> killed him. And then, uh, well, even better though, Batman makes a speech to the crowd 
before this and gives them a choice. He's going to give them a vote, a democratic vote. He's like, well, what are we going to do with Godzilla? One, we could activate a volcano and throw Godzilla into the volcano and kill him. Or should we send him into space? And everyone's like, we love Godzilla. Send him into space. But as you note, it kind of seems like he might die out there too. I feel like he would survive the volcano probably. <laughs> like it doesn't Godzilla. feel like Batman and Robin should have just defeated this evil scientist and set Godzilla free to swim back into the ocean like he always does. <laughs> I mean, they do defeat him, but at this point they've already pissed Godzilla off with the mating call. <laughs> uh, it's also weird because it's like they empty because Godzilla is going to destroy Tokyo. So they managed to literally empty the entire city. This is like Zack Snyder rules, you know, of like no one's there anymore. Now we can destroy all the buildings. Um, but in this, they actually specifically note they've evacuated the entire city. Uh, and so Finster's plan, I don't even quite understand what it really is, because then there's a scene of just him and his men joyriding around in the empty streets and like kicking in windows and stealing jewelry. And I was like, really? I feel like you had greater aspirations with your Godzilla controlling than just to get an empty city so you can loot it. Um, they should just have gone to the mall and tried on different outfits and stuff. <laughs> some some real Omega Man stuff. Uh, and the very end of it is that they're at a baseball game uh, and Batman and uh, Robin are being celebrated. But then Bruce and Dick are also there, but they have laryngitis so they can't have conversations with anybody uh, and I think like maybe Batgirl or someone who'd always been suspicious that maybe Bruce Wayne and Dick are Batman. This is conclusive proof that they are different people. And then when uh, Batman and Robin and Bruce and Dick are riding home on the airplane, we reveal that somehow they made robot versions of themselves using the villains, you know, robot clone technology. Uh, oh, that's how <laughs> Superboy always used to do it. So that trick is Lana into thinking that he's uh, not which, Clark. frankly, I mean, as we noted in our previous episode, we talked about this. I do wish that movie existed because how could you not? <laughs> yeah, I don't think no, no. I mean, actually, maybe it would have been great if, if you like the original Batman movie with Adam West. I don't know why you wouldn't like this as well. It definitely feels like a weird mix, though, of Godzilla and Batman. But I would have liked to have seen Batman climbing up Godzilla. That sounds yeah. fun. Dude, I've always uh, just very quick aside. Why don't we have people fighting on the surface of Godzilla? It is it's <laughs> yeah. been in my mind ever since I saw Godzilla and I saw the relative size of human beings. And I'm just like, why is like, no movie? Dude, I mean, a, a commando team dispatched to to Godzilla as though Godzilla is an island to be like, you know, colonized or fracked or something. You're trying to frack. Well, yeah, they're Godzilla. trying to climb up to his head and put some sort of yeah, gizmo charge. on there that would yeah. let you control him or whatever. But there's or a charges. bad guy up there. So like we got like a knife fight between two opposing commandos uh-huh. dangling <laughs> off the idea. edge of Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> like Armageddon. Everybody right? would love it. Yeah, exactly, Steve. Exactly. Like Armageddon with Godzilla. We got to drill down in his soft palate and blow the nuclear weapon up inside <laughs> of his head. Who's the team that's going to go in there and do it? And they're like having to dodge flashes of laser breath coming out. Uh, all that kind of shit. Yeah. You can do it. I love it. All right. <laughs> I'm into that idea. All right. So March 14th, 1968, the Batman TV show ends. And then we enter the early 1970s. And that's when the Superman movie goes into production. And the Superman movie is important because 
you know, Mario Puzo, who wrote the Godfather movies, you know, and they had Mar mm. they had Marlon Brando and Gene Hat Hackman attached. And so it was like the first time where I was like, yo, this is like a serious movie. This is not a campy TV show. This shit's real, you know? And so it was like the first serious comic book movie. And so in the mid 1970s, CBS wanted to do a uh, wanted to produce a Batman and out of space film. And I bet Adam West would probably be attached to that. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> I was going to say, what? Yeah. Batman and, and out of space. And then in December 15th, 1978, the Superman movie is released and it's huge. You know, it does very well. I, here it made a domestic box office, as I can see from the numbers, is uh, 134 million dollars. And wow. worldwide, I was worldwide, expecting you to say a number that was good back then, but now sounds shitty. But that still sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, and then worldwide made 300 million. Damn. So and so around. Yeah, this that must have been one of the biggest hits of the year, or possibly the biggest hit of the year. Oh, I uh, should have checked that. It had to. It had to have been. Yeah, I mean that's huge. For yeah, 78 I mean, I mean animal house made a shit ton of money but i don't yes. know if it made that much money and so at this point let's enter michael uslin and um so he's a very important figure all the way until now with this whole turning batman into a movie and just a really quick backstory on him uh, there was an interview with him that said he was in his den as a kid watching the batman tv show and he was horrified by what he was seeing he knew the world was <laughs> laughing at batman and that just killed him as a kid and, and that like the world was laughing with batman that's that's how i see it <laughs> and just, that show was it's, funny. it's like the batman 66 show flew in through the window and landed on a bust of michael useland's <laughs> yeah. father and he was like no i will dedicate my life to a serious batman existing yes i mean i think he was all I mean, oh yeah the quote was he was thrilled and horrified sorry left out thrilled so he was uh and so it became his mission in life to somehow show the world what the true Batman is, you know, the one that was created in 1939, a, a creature of the night stalking criminals from the shadows. It was his favorite character. He quoted, I always love, I always contend that his greatest superpower is his humanity. And so by the time he graduated high school, he had a collection of over 30,000 comic books. And he, he ended up being the first person to teach accredited college course in comics in the early 1970s. And while attending law, law school, he wrote Batman stories for DC Comics and then eventually became an attorney at Free United Artists. And then he would quote, how does a kid in his 20s buy, buy the rights to Batman? The answer is nobody else on the planet wanted them. <laughs> and so he went to the production manager at DC Comics and he said, I want to buy the rights to Batman and make a dark and serious movie. And uh, the guy at DC was shocked and he was telling him, don't do that. You know, <laughs> you're going to you're going to lose your money. You have to understand the brand wow. is dead. You know, since the TV show went off the air, no one is interested in Batman anymore. And then they said the only interest has been from CBS who wants the rights to do a Batman and out of space movie. <laughs> they want to make an even campier Batman show. Ex exactly. They thought the Batman 66 show was too serious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just kept saying, no, I want to do this in a dark and serious way. No one's ever seen a comic book or superhero movie like that, you know, and, you know, which we all know is true. And then eventually Uslan teamed up with a guy named Ben Mel Melnicker. 
And he was working at MGM. He started there in 1939, and he was involved with uh, important deals, including Ben-Hur, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Dr. Zhivago. And they both teamed up and started negotiating the rights to Batman in April 1979. And then in October 1979, they got the rights. And Warner Brothers had the first negotiation to get to to buy bat to do batman as a movie but you know they had no interest in doing a non-superman comic book character into a feature film they hated the idea and so you know he thought every studio would line up on the door on his by his doorstep for batman but no one wanted the movie everyone kept saying you're out of your mind you can't make a movie out of that old tv series and so what he ended up doing was he sat down with a friend of his and wrote a script titled return of the batman and the reason why he did this was because i wanted to do it not because this would be the film but it would give people some idea what the hell i was talking about you know give people an idea that i'm not trying to make the 1960s movie but making a dark and serious movie and so now that's what takes us to return of the batman the 1979 Pat, you have this script yeah, so he didn't really intend for this to be made. He says this was like a, a kicking off point. Like this, I know you guys are screenwriters, and I know you guys know the concept of like just doing some draft. But if you're gonna finish a draft, you have to get that in your body that it's gonna be made. <laughs> and I know Uslan had that because I read this, uh, not as much as Pat, but it has so many damn camera directions in it. There's no freaking way he didn't think that there was some outside chance that they would go, well, this little crap you dashed off. This is quite good enough, Uslan. You're the Batman <laughs> screenwriter of all time. That, that, that fantasy had to be in his mind somewhere. I'm sorry. No, it probably did. This is what he told Rolling Stone in 1989 years yeah. later. Oh, yeah. And so maybe at the time he did probably do it. And maybe when people were reading it, like, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I, can never do this. Yeah, I haven't read this, but this is interesting because it begins with like a glossary of all the Batman characters, right? It, it's a glossary of all the characters who are going to be in the movie, but then it also has literally a list of the sets as though it's a goddamn play. I don't know why you would do that if you weren't <laughs> planning to make it. You yeah. know, I, I think so because later on I did find an article that says we have a draft, and that was before the next draft we're going to get into later. So, I mean, I, I bet maybe through time maybe it changed a little bit, but any, but you know. Oh, so, just last things last before I let Pat, Pat do his thing. I talked to Yuslin, I will talk about it later, but I've, I've met him like three times. And no I, shit. I, yeah, I met him like three times. I, I interviewed him for like a podcast called Comics and Comics in a Culver City comic book store a long time ago. I had a blue shirt on that I was sweating through and I talked to him and <laughs> and I got up the courage to like ask him why the Batman movies are the way they are in regards to start out kind of serious and weird and then kind of go into this weird campy stuff. And he was like. Uh, and maybe this is a bit of kayfabe or spin, but he was like, if you look at it, it's sort of going for the 1939 Batman all the way through the 60s Dick Sprang era. That the, the uh, very nice, you know, Mr. Freeze Batman is very much, you know, Dick Sprang era Batman with the big typewriters and all this jet. You know what I mean? So it's like uh, that was kind of an interesting thing. And last things last, he said that... Um, out of all the stories that he was telling about how people rejected him, he said he took the, the movie to some sort of studio. Uh, I don't know who had the rights to um, Robin and Maid Marian. 
And they turned him down because they already had Robin and Maid Marian. That that movie with Sean Connery as an aged yeah. uh, Robin Hood and Maid Marian's love story after he like the Dark Knight Returns of Robin Hood. Catherine Hepburn, Hepburn or something. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. So so the Dark Knight Returns of Robin Hood. They had that movie basically, and because it had Robin in it, they they said <laughs> they couldn't do Batman and Robin. That he literally heard that. So like the mentality of these people turning down, turning him down. It's just ridiculous, especially in this 2020 hindsight. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the reasons for people turning things down are often ridiculous. Everyone who's ever turned down one of our pitches was just a fool. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like some, That's been some, my experience. something that we n- talked about at in our uh, Spider-Man episodes. I'm now forgetting all the people's names, but uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Sony had the chance to get all of the Marvel character rights. And they're like, no, we just want Spider-Man. <laughs> and just in hindsight, it's just like, why? They're like, who cares about these other characters? They could have got them for a bargain, too. Yeah. That was the mm-hmm. craziest. Like, yeah, it was still- like they were actively trying to avoid it. They were like, we'll throw in all. Yeah, it was like, I forget. I feel like we've heard the numbers, but it was, you know, a couple of million dollars for Spider-Man. And for like an extra 10 grand, mm-hmm. you can have every other character <laughs> of all time. And they're like, nope. <laughs> We'll pay you to not take Iron Man. No one will ever <laughs> yeah. care about him. Mm. Oh, and um, I'm sorry. Yeah, what I was saying in February 1980 in Starlog, um, Usun says, discussions are taking place now for a director. A first draft screenplay exists, you know, so that's his draft. He never said names of directors, though. We'll get there later okay. on. All right. Okay, so this movie, yeah, it starts with this big prologue, like a glossary of characters, including and it almost feels like this is so, a little bit supposed to be a sequel to the 60s series um even though the I mean, it's the, called the, return and, of batman yeah the entry for batman is about how like this is actually this is based on the original comics batman who's more serious and mysterious and dracula like everyone in these old things who are trying to make batman seem cool evoke dracula <laughs> um dick grayson is like in college and he wears a more mature and modernized costume than his classic Robin outfit. So no short shorts. Hmm. Yeah, the bad guy of this movie is going to be Ra's al Ghul. So it seems like they were very specifically trying to stay away from anyone who'd been on the 60s show. Although this is not how, a great When did Ra's al Ghul show up in the comics? Like how new of a character was he at this point? I think he was from the 70s. But I guess, Ed, do you know? Uh, I think he's uh, late 60s, early 70s. Because he was never he came on the in, Adam West show, right? Yeah, he came, no. he came in... Um, um, and the Denny O'Neill, uh, Neil Adams run, which I when guess they is... were making Batman cool again, like they yeah. were the ones who were kind of like, what if what if Batman was cool instead of a big joke? <laughs> yeah, um, and this this uh, also contains both Vicky Vale, um, who was obviously heavily featured in the '89 Batman and has been sporadic in the comics, but also Silver Saint Cloud, who was the big '70s love interest oh, for Batman. interesting classic Steve Englehart run. So the movie. Like the tone of this movie is kind of all over the place. It starts <laughs> with a couple of the most preposterously expensive uh, set pieces I've ever heard of. Like two in a row. It's got like two cold opens in a row. There's a terrorist attack on the Lincoln <laughs> Tunnel, which is straight up called the Lincoln Tunnel in in dialogue. It's Gotham City, but all the landmarks are New York City landmarks with their exact New York City names. That's uh, confusing. T- terrorist mm. helicopters, guys rappel down. Ubu, who's Ra's al Ghul's sidekick, um, he was on the Batman animated series as well. So he's from the comics. 
and he's got a special gun called the magnetic power device and his evil commandos they trank all the cops like the bad guys don't even really kill people in this story and they make everyone get out of the cars and flee the tunnels that he uses the mag- the magnetic power device which is like a laser gun destroys the tunnel it floods the most expensive scene of all time then they uh <laughs> <laughs> then they get their helicopters and they fly to the George Washington bridge they do the same thing tranking people and evacuating the bridge then he uses the gun to blow up the Washington bridge wow. as well then Batman title card. <laughs> and it says the original theme music plays. So I'm guessing that also means the 66 Batman song. That's just confusing. Yeah. So he's not <laughs> totally running from the 66 thing. Uh, oh, and then another scene of, uh, oh, it's like, you know, the city's in a panic. We see Ubu and his guys attack the Empire State Building. And he like, they shoot it out with the cops and Ubu blows up the top of the Empire State Building <laughs> because that's where you broadcast uh, the radio and TV from, I guess, to like make a blackout in Gotham. Oh, I think they also even say they also went and blew up uh, the Holland Tunnel off camera. So there's no way in or out of New York City, even though I think there are, what, like 21 bridges? In this one, there's only three ways in or out. They're all destroyed. However many there were in that Chadwick Boseman movie. Whatever the title of that movie yeah. is, that is the number of bridges. Um, so we cut to Gordon, Commissioner Gordon and the mayor, and they're arguing about what to do. And Gordon's like, we got to call the National Guard. And the mayor's like, we can't. There's too much red tape. And Gordon's like, curse that red tape. This is like a libertarian uh, yeah. political screed. Like Gordon brings up red tape so many times throughout this script. <laughs> yeah. Post like, dirty Harry Gordon here yeah he's like we need batman and everyone else is like the batman that's crazy what can one man do besides no one's seen him in months gordon's like you got to give me the authority to call him batman (laughs) i'm like why does he just said he didn't want red tape anyway the mayor's like okay he's our only hope so then we get gordon you know waiting all turns on the bat signal waits all night and then we get let's let's read a bit from this script it sounds like dark knight rises a bit yeah well i mean it's to do this batman returns but where has he been i think maybe we'll find out in this scene Uh, why don't you be batman and uh josh why don't you be uh commissioner gordon all right i'll I'll give a little run in here uh Gordon turns around in what should be a jolting, suspenseful scene, stares in shock at the grim figure of the Batman. As Gordon turns, the shot should be a quick close-up of the Batman's frightening cowl, standing right behind him, half-concealed in the shadows. The shadows should give Batman an almost vampiric look. Gordon draws a quick breath, showing his sudden fright. The Batman? No response from Batman. I thought you were dead. Do you believe everything you hear, Commissioner? Yes, no, no, of course I don't. It's just that, where in God's name have you been for the past two months? Underground, in disguise, in order to infiltrate organized crime. (laughs) That's not like you, no costume? No costume, no bat gimmicks. They don't work anymore in this day and age. I thought I could, (laughs) I'm sorry, this is so funny. (laughs) I thought I could get better results playing undercover cop. Forget it. The city doesn't need another undercover cop. The city does need the superhero in the cape and cowl. For what? After all these years as the Batman, there's more crime than ever. And it's worse crime. 
It used to be robberies and costume supervillains. Now it's drugs and terrorism and all this politics. <laughs> the, pe- the people think the good guys are the bad guys or the bad guys are the good guys. What was I doing all these years? Chasing some insane villains like the Joker and the Catwoman? The Joker and the Catwoman. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, what have I done to stop tr- street crime in the city? I haven't even put a dent in the statistics, Jim. What's the use? What have I accomplished as the Batman? You're too harsh on yourself. <laughs> didn't you didn't you gob yourself as a mysterious, frightening Batman in order to be some sort of deterrent to strike fear in the underworld and all that? Well, I've only done... You've done what you were meant to do. But I could do the same thing without the mask. That's where you're wrong, Batman. You know what's happening. Gotham is cut off and is a prime candidate to be overthrown by an army of criminals that's coming together out there. I know that. You don't understand. I understand that the people need a living symbol of justice and fairness. Fairness? They need to see (laughs) the figure of a bat moving through the shadows. They need to see crime being fought and beaten back. They need to see there's hope. Jim, half the city has been blown up tonight. (laughs) You're talking about criminal armies. How can you say that the symbol of justice, the hope of the people must be the Batman? Because for reasons known only to you, you chose your mission in life years ago. Now it's your responsibility. Then Batman. Ability. Looks off into the cameras like doo-doo, doo-doo, doo-doo. <laughs> we go we go back to the classic scene of his parents being gunned down as they're leaving the movie theater in this script they were leaving from here to eternity for some reason oh well that'll be a fun evolution in scripts what movie yeah. they were seeing. yeah what what movie they're leaving <laughs> then you know a series of scenes young bruce Alfred walking in to hear young young Bruce making a vow to hunt down criminals, or actually maybe this one, he's at the gravestones. We, like these scenes are in almost every one of these scripts. Making the vow, the 21-year-old Bruce getting control of the family fortune from a lawyer, then like Bruce being like, what, what can I do? And seeing the uh, bat fly in the open window and giving him the idea to be a Batman. That will become something that will strike fear. And we cut back to Batman and Gordon back on the roof having, I can only assume Batman's been staring off into space silently for <laughs> many minutes while Gordon's like, are, are you okay? Batman? <laughs> and Batman says, you're right, Jim. Somewhere over the years, I lost sight of who I am and why. Now I remember. <laughs> so that was a full, that big speech about all of Batman's angst. No more angst for the rest of the movie. He's fully back to being Batman right there. Uh, that's that's not where we end at the end of the movie. That's the end of his very first scene, which comes like 20 pages into this script. So we cut to Mount Rushmore, which is Ross Al Ghul's evil villain base. His base is inside the head. Very of patriotic. <laughs> and this stuff does feel very camp and it, it feels a little influenced by gene hackman in in the superman movie ed would mm. you agree mm-hmm. when we first meet Roz, he's like kicking the ass of a supercomputer at chess the chess is the supercomputer is like embarrassingly bad compared to him and the talia walks <laughs> in as anyone who reads the comics talia is like batman's evil love interest who he knocked up she's the mother of the of the current robin from a story, though I think from 
the late seventies or possibly early eighties. I think it's, it's in the eighties. Uh, Jerry Bingham and uh, Mike W. Barr wrote a story where Batman basically kind of falls under Ra's thrall a little bit. He's just like, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm Batman. I'm lonely as fuck. Shit is bad. All this bad stuff is happening. Maybe I'll try this League of Shadows thing and see if I can make them not be such assholes. And they, he kind of goes on a couple of missions with them. Her and him and Talia get real comfortable. And they, they have get a kid. married because yeah. according to their law, you don't mm-hmm. need a husband's consent to get married, only the girls. So the, they get married under duress, but then he, they're fighting some other villain. So Batman agrees to team up temporarily and they save the world. And then Talia tells him, or he even knew she was pregnant, but she's like, I had a miscarriage. And he's like, mm-hmm. then I must go back to the shadows. And then we learn that she was lying. Yeah. Uh, and then it, and then that kid is not mentioned in the comics again for like 30 years. Yep. But now he's the star of everything. <laughs> yep. That's comics for you, baby. <laughs> she's like, Father, I'm lonely. And Roz gives a speech about how he's going to make her the princess of Gotham. Like this army of criminals works for him. He's going to just militarily conquer Gotham. But she's like, I don't want to be princess of Gotham. I want to live among the regular people. And besides, Dad, you're an oil billionaire. You could buy Gotham. He's like, I couldn't buy every single thing in the whole city. I want it all. I'm going to build a palace in Central Park. <laughs> Who's going to stop me? Batman? No one's seen him in months. Ha, 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 ha. And in this scene also, Talia sees like a picture of Batman and is immediately super horny for hubba, him. Hubba. I love the idea. Of, he's just been gone for a couple months and everyone's just like, he's dead. <laughs> yeah. never coming back so Roz is going to send Tanya from the League of Assassins who I can only assume from the way they describe her is Grace Jones oh. uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Talia's like I want to go too and he's like okay we'll hold off on attacking the airport until after you land but she wants to go obviously to meet Batman but he doesn't pick up on that also Roz never leaves his base in this entire movie Very every time exciting. we see him he's just back in Mount Rushmore <laughs> Well, that's why they were like, we can get a huge star and we only need him for two days. (laughs) Yeah, that probably was it. He returns to the supercomputer. He's like, since I beat you at chess, you can have the first role in backgammon. And the the computer has dialogue. He's like, come on, six and two. And then he rolls a four and one. He's like, nuts. Wait, did they have chess supercomputers (laughs) in the 70s? Or was this supposed to be like super sci-fi? They had it in the thing. Remember in John Carpenter, Kurt Russell was playing with it? doofy i guess it does beat him that's why he pours mm-hmm. his scotch into the computer <laughs> mm-hmm. all right um so the batman and alfred are in the batmobile going to the airport to pick up uh robin who is returning from college because of this crisis and alfred's like why didn't why haven't they attacked the airport yet and batman's like i don't know we'll figure it out and alfred drops batman off another feature of this script is like a lot of like dropping people off in the batmobile or batman's like <laughs> Take the Batmobile and go park it over there. Other character it's constantly <laughs> happening. <laughs> he's like, oh, and he tells Alfred he'll contact him on his beeper to tell him where to pick them up. Oh. Gordon's like, Gordon's also there guarding the airport. He's like, it's weird to see you in daylight, Batman. Don't you sleep in a coffin during the day or something? Once again, he's looking Dracula as much as possible. <laughs> Batman's like, were there any un- unscheduled planes coming in? Gordon's like, yeah, one just came in. Two sensational looking broads. There they go. And Batman sees Talia and he's also like, Awooga, but like <laughs> subdued within his bat suit. Awooga. And as Robin <laughs> comes flying in, in like a one man plane, it gets shot by the super laser and explodes. Oh, no. Uh, but he bails out in a parachute. 
And like the Ubu's there and is blowing up all the planes at the airport now, sending them flying around the tarmac, crashing into one another, once again, spending an insane amount yeah. of money on this. Some tenant level. Uh, how can we make this movie more expensive? And Batman, like Robin's fine. He's like, ah, welcome to the party, boy wonder. Not actually welcome to the party. I didn't write it down. But Robin's <laughs> response is, cut out the boy wonder jazz. I am pushing 20, you know. And <laughs> Batman's like, okay, old timer. Basically, once Robin arrives, like Batman goes from the angsty Batman, it, it becomes very, you know, 60s style. Good point, chum. Although I don't know if he ever actually uses the word chum. But Does he, Robin like, he really say like, jazz? He oh, does yeah, say jazz. Sure. Oh, wow. That is a fact. As a person who uses jazz <laughs> to this day, it classic late seventies slang. <laughs> so Batman uses his super detective powers of deduction and realizes that there's only one plane on the tarmac that hasn't been blown up. So they run over there, and Ubu was in it. That's where he was firing from. Oh crap! <laughs> they fight Ubu, and they use the move where Robin gets on his hands and knees behind Ubu, and Batman pushes him over. Oh, uh, just really, really quickly. This whole fight is chock full of that shit. First, the first move of the fight is Robin cups his hands to give Batman a boost up onto the wing, and then they they get up on the wing, and then and then they do is, the classic push over the back move. It's I love that the script opens with him asserting how this is the the, the serious Batman. This isn't the <laughs> silly Batman anymore. Yeah, it's like ten percent more serious than the sixties version. But definitely more expensive. I mean, this does feel like maybe what he was really looking at was like kind of the sillier Roger Moore, James Bonds is more like the tone he was going for. I mean, certainly was the era. It's definitely James Bond, the way you're explaining the villain and Mount Rushmore. Totally. Yeah, it's interesting too. like just like the choice of villain here, because Ra's al Ghul, like in the comics, like his defining characteristics, like originally he was sort of an environmental terrorist though they've kind of dropped that over the years. But the other thing is that he's hundreds of years old and has the Lazarus pits and stuff. And in this movie, he's straight up just like an evil Arab oil billionaire with no powers. No, he runs the League of Assassins, or at least they work uh... for him. Very seventies, uh, yeah. But I guess American this was just, approach. I guess just like Jimmy Carter rage about you know whatever high oil prices. Yeah. Anyway, there's a big chase. They go down to the subway. I like to imagine fun- Anthony Quinn would have played him though, reprising yeah. his his yeah. Arab portrayal from Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, he, he actually would have been pretty good. He would have been good. <laughs> uh, there's a, a funny gag where like Batman and Ubu and Robin all like jump the turnstiles in front of a guy who's like hey 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 and then he decides to jump the turnstile too and it get, immediately gets busted by a cop <laughs> anyway ubu gets the drop on batman and like chokes him out but then batman wakes up next to the batmobile and robin like must have scared him off so they alfred picks them up or, or they send alfred home in a cab and he's like can i pack you dinner sirs he's like no thanks we'll pull into a car hop later a joke that was basically done <laughs> in Batman and Robin with uh, George Clooney, right? Doesn't that the one where he says it'll get drive through? Oh, yeah. Uh, see, the things that survive as we go through these, the things that survive <laughs> are just or are parallels are insane. So then Batman calls Vicky Vale from a futuristic car phone with like hologram technology. That's our next scene to read here. Uh, maybe just Who's starting. Who? Uh, yeah, Ed, you want to be Batman again? And uh, 
Josh, you want to be Vicky? Sure. <laughs> so start okay, with uh, Vicky answering the phone halfway up that first page there. After she's been yelling at like people, like she's basically, she's the editor of the paper in this. She's Perry White, basically. And people are like, why are you such a bitch? She's like, what? Because I'm a woman. I got here because I work harder than many else. She's got a whole big scene leading into this until her super bat phone rings. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, wait, is this the hello lover? That one? Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's what Batman says. Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right get my lead in again. I got to get in the character. <clears throat> Uh, I should note a parenthetical is very sweet. Sudden. Oh, I see. She's been yelling at someone and then answers mm. the phone is like, hello, lover. This is a holographic phone, which projects. <laughs> oh, wait, that's, that's oh, no, that's the, that, oh, my bad. <laughs> Batman's on the phone in his car. Oh, this bad. is a holographic <laughs> phone, which projects Vicky's <laughs> 3D image within the car as they speak. I'm so sorry to read the parenthetical. No, that was amazing. What if Batman was saying that? <laughs> okay. Uh, I need information fast. Shoot. Uh, do you have anything in your files about someone whose first or last name is Roz? Continue, Ed. Oh, sorry. Wait, these pages are going weird. Yeah, so it's, it's, unlike okay. a normal oh. PDF that's like okay, top right. to bottom, okay. this is side uh, to side. Okay, whose uh, first name is Roz. He's probably not American. He's got an ugly Hulk working for him and possibly two women, one of which is absolutely beautiful. I hope you're not making me do all this research just to get some loose ladies phone number. <laughs> you, oh, uh, the parenthetical says winking at Robin. You sound jealous, Vicky. <laughs> just cautious, just cautious, pointy ears. Anything else? Run across, <laughs> run across reference check with the disco studio 69. Hey, let me know who owns it. See if any of the people I mentioned hang out there. Will do any, anything in this for me. The story behind the blown up tunnels and bridge. Really? Oh, and how can I show my appreciation, Batman? Anything else I can do for you tonight or tomorrow night? Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> Click. Batman <laughs> hangs up on her. <laughs> then, like, Robin makes a couple of, you know, it's like a jokes about her and uh like why, why is everyone in love with batman no one's in love with robin this is bullshit uh, <laughs> but like literally every female character in this movie except for tanya the assassin is super horny for batman at all times oh i forgot to mention that was like when they hear about the hot chicks who just left the airport they were like the drivers somehow they knew they were going to studio 69 the popular disco obviously <laughs> studio 54 so batman and robin go to uh Oh, they go stake out Studio 69. Vicky calls back. The disco is owned by Raz al Ghul, the famous mm. oil billionaire. <laughs> and the hot girl from the airport is his daughter, Talia, which I guess she just got. She didn't have like a picture of her or anything. She just looked at pictures of her, his daughter and was like, oh, she's super hot. That must be who must Batman's be talking her. about. So Batman and Robin go up to the bouncers and they're like, you can't come in here. Batman's old news. No one cares about him anymore. Batman starts fighting with the bouncers before Truman Capote shows up. <gasps> he's like, he's with me. <laughs> <laughs> so the bouncers let him in as part of Truman Capote's party. And the disc is full of giant props. Uh, the classic Batman thing, including like a giant toothpaste and a oh, giant, oh, this carries a giant typewriter. What? <laughs> and Silver St. Cloud's there. She's the uh, club's talent booker and is also super horny for Batman and seemingly is an ex-girlfriend is how I read it. Like they had dated previously. Um, but Ubu's just hanging out there. So Batman starts to fight immediately. 
before Tanya comes up behind Batman and attacks him. And he jumps on the giant tube of toothpaste and sprays toothpaste <laughs> all over Ubu. <laughs> the Batman fights Tanya on the giant typewriter with his finishing move, like they're jumping from key to key. And he knocks her onto the paper and jumps on the keys to type the word Batman across her chest. <laughs> This and then he's like interrogating in a later script. That's why yeah, I keep making Mikeowitz, shock yeah. no- noises. And Ubu's about to throw a knife at Batman, but then Robin jumps on the carriage return and the roller snaps back, you know, like <laughs> classic typewriter fashion and knocks Ubu out. Robin's like, I twisted my ankle. Go on without me. Uh, Batman grabs silver. He's like, <laughs> to go to the next. Oh, they learned that Roz is going after the armory next. So he's like, come in with me. I, I need you to drive the Batmobile back here to pick up Robin after I go wherever. Like, it's so whatever. Wait, does Robin have any, like, holy, you know, blank Batman? I don't think he does. But almost everything he says is some kind of joke. Uh, but Batman sees Talia outside the club and they both, like, lock eyes for a second. And I imagine Dreamweaver plays, but then he drives <laughs> away with Silver. <laughs> then the cops start chasing him. While Batman's like on the phone with Commissioner Gordon telling him to get him into the armory. And Batman's like, oh, some of your guys are chasing me. I might have to rough them up. Gordon says, it would be easier for me to call them off. But if they're dumb enough not to recognize the Batmobile, they deserve a lesson. So then a ridiculous car chase happens where Batman uses all his Batmobile gizmos to, you know, cause the cops to crash into his swamp and stuff. For no reason, since as Gordon notes, he could have easily called them and told them to not chase him. Uh, oh, and then we get a little sequence of like, he gets to the armory where bad guys are like shooting everyone with trank guns and stealing all the machine guns and stuff out of the armory. And one of them lights a cigarette. He's like, hey man, we're trying to rob a place here. Don't draw attention. He's like, who's going to see? The man in the moon? They look up and Batman is a scary bat silhouette against the moon on top of the building. And then this is like a sequence where now suddenly it's like Batman is like a ninja, more like a modern Batman. He takes out all the dudes with awesome martial arts moves. After earlier, he was pushing people over Robin in like a playground yeah. bully fashion. <laughs> After they are three stooging the like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he beats up a guy. He's like, talk or you're dead. And the thug tells him the next part of the plan, which is that Roz is going to stage a massive jailbreak from the prison. The tombs. Oh, Batman's like, where's Ra's al Ghul? Where's his hideout? And the thug's like, in Lincoln, Washington. And then someone shoots him and he's unable to finish his explanation, which I guess was going to be Roosevelt and Jefferson. It's a weird I don't know why you would. Take so much longer than saying Mount Rushmore. Maybe he was like, oh, what's it called? I, it, brain fart. Can't think of the name. <laughs> North by Northwest. Yeah. There's another chase. Batman has like a one man helicopter in the trunk of his Batmobile. So he tells Silver to go back and give the car to Robin and tell tell him to meet me in the Batcave and kisses Silver on the cheek. And I don't think we ever see her again. But he has like a one man helicopter, like the one that I think James Bond maybe even uses in one of the Roger Moores. He flies after the truck jumps onto the truck the truck flies off a cliff he jumps back onto his one-man helicopter a pointless just just another action set piece back at mount rushmore raz al ghul is yelling at ubu over skype you were all defeated by one man he ain't human boss so raz (laughs) uh says i'll have talia take care of him 
then there's like a news montage of people like, what do you think of Batman man on the street stuff? Sort of like all the stuff we got in dark Knight returns. Uh, you know, people are like, Batman, I think he's cool. And a rich lady is like, anyone who dressed as an animal should be locked up, but she's wearing like <laughs> leopard print. Uh... Somebody's like, like think this Batman's good for law and order. It's like, I think he's a good man to have around until we finally get Ronald Reagan into office. <laughs> and somebody saying the Batman's, you know, clearly schizophrenic or whatever. Back to Bruce and Dick as Bruce and Dick are now watching TV with uh, Commissioner Gordon in the penthouse of the Wayne Foundation building. And like Gordon's disgusted that people complain about Batman when the city's been taken over by an army of criminals. He says, maybe it's this post-Watergate suspicion. A lot of this stuff feels like responses to the studio execs. I always ask the question, why now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got to have an answer for them, but you don't actually have to put it in the script. Michael Uslan should have learned that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they also talk about how Bruce Wayne's foundation helps rehabilitate criminals too. You know, you and Batman take two different approaches to the same problem. And, uh, Gordon's like, I've got to go. I got a, we got a big tip about a big prison break. There's no real explanation of why he's just hanging out with Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I was going to say, are they watching The Bachelor or something? What a... <laughs> I mean, they're just watching the news. But then on his way out, Gordon tries to set Bruce up. He's like, I know you're a big playboy, but uh, my daughter, Barbara. And Bruce is like, uh, no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. I have so they open standards. The, the grandfather clock to go down to the Batcave. But this is from like the penthouse, not Wayne Manor. There's like the big dinosaur, the big penny, et cetera. They're going to do some experiments. Oh, because they got the super gun from Ubu. But it turns out Talia is already down there. She's like, she figured out he was Bruce Wayne by just tracking the purchases of the equipment that Batman would need. It all led to Bruce Wayne. Batman says like, <laughs> here's some James Bondian double entendre. He's like, that's a hole I'll plug. And Talia says, that I am sure. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But then immediately Talia declares that she's in love with Batman. And Robin is once again like, what the hell? What am I, shot liver? Oh, come on. <laughs> she offers herself to Batman, body and soul. All he has to do is disappear for 48 hours and let Roz conquer Gotham. Batman is tempted. He kisses her, but then he's like, go suck an egg. That's a quote. Wow. <laughs> she grabs the magnet gun and shoots the dinosaur, which comes to life. Cause I guess it was a robot dinosaur. There's rampages around the cave. And we do a bunch of gags with all the stuff that's in the cave. A giant swarm of bats are driven mad by the magnet gun as well. And Batman and Robin have to like lock themselves in a trick prison cell that the Joker had once tricked them into. They told the story at the beginning of the scene. And they're but they're safe from the bats in there. And then Robin laughs. He's like, I'm just thinking about what Alfred, what's, what's gonna happen to Alfred when he comes down with our lunch. Uh, and then we cut to hours later, Alfred's all freaked out. <laughs> He's freaked out from the bats. This is our, our final scene to read from the script. All right. Uh, who's who? What's going on here? So yeah, Ed, why don't you continue to be uh Batman? And uh, Josh, why don't you be Alfred? And Steve, why don't you be uh, young more <laughs> Dick Grayson? And let's start with, uh, uh, yeah, with Alfred saying, oh, no, your costumes. <laughs> yeah, parenthetical, looking, looking even more ill. I guess, yeah, he's having a bad reaction. Oh, no, your costumes. 
Alfred races to the laundry room. Bruce and Dick follow. Alfred reaches into the dryer. I sewed your uniforms, but they were both so filthy. I threw them in the washer. So? Well, I've been so distraught today. I forgot that they've been drying for over four hours. Oh, no. (laughs) Alfred takes out Batman's costume and Robin's costume. They have both shrunk to the size of a small boy's costume. (laughs) I don't believe it. Now what? (laughs) Don't fear. I'll get your spare uniforms out of storage. But we never had a fitting or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. They'll fit like gloves. Later that night, Bruce is in his spare Batman costume. It looks fine, except the leggings are too baggy and the trunks are too big. Batman, (laughs) Bruce faces a full mirror. Alfred is at his feet with pins in his mouth, chalking lines and pinning the material. Dick is in his new costume. It fits. It fits like a glove, all right. The Hulk's glove, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, With pins in his mouth is the parenthetical. I'll take in the waist and the crotch, taper the leggings, strengthen them or lengthen them. Alfred. Yes, sir. No cuffs, please. No, sir. Bruce and Dick crack up, <laughs> shaking their heads. That, that's the scene. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to hit pause right there and pick things back up in our next episode about the history of unmade Batman films. We'd like to thank our guests, Pat Casey and Ed Greer, for joining us. You can find both of them on Twitter, Pat at Pat underscore letters K and C and Ed at Ed Greer destroys. You can find us at never made film and on Instagram as best movies never made. We also recommend that you check out the electric now app. It is an app that allows you uh, free access to movies, TV shows, and more importantly, video of our podcasts and all the podcasts here at the Electric Surge Network. We'd like to thank everyone at the network, including Bill Ritter and our producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlana saying, we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.